Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock, Season 2. I'm Kim Payne. And I'm Otto Mullins. This is our podcast chronicling our journeys through the Stevenverse. Welcome to First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock. I'm your host, Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this is our first time through the second half of Mr. Mercedes by our Lord and Liege, Stephen King. This book is fantastic. I really enjoyed it right? a lot. Uh, there's some, I'm not going to lie, we'll talk about it when we get into it. There's some silly stuff at the end. And it there legitimately made me laugh out loud. Like, it was just, okay. Um, but, I mean, that's part of the fun of reading. Um, yeah. And, you know, I have, uh, I th- I have, there's some interesting stuff, like, about characters. And there's one thing in particular, like, that we have in movies that is not the case in books. And it's really interesting. We'll talk about that later. Kim, so your third time through this book, did you uh, notice anything new? Anything in particular that you really liked about it? Nothing new really stood out. I just, um, I really loved the pace of the end of this book. I mean, it the it all takes place in like three uh, three days, yeah, from like a Monday to a Thursday, so it's really fast paced, and I really appreciated that. You know, once I got to this point, I had a really hard time putting it down. The yeah, the second half of it all takes place in like four days. It's real fast. It is. It's it really is. cool, and it's really um, yeah. No, the pace of it. You're right. It is really good, and it's one of those things where uh, you don't have as many times to put it down. Right. And and the he does a good job of building the suspense in the right places. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um surprising no one. Yeah, no, absolutely not, especially uh with uh you know the technology aspects of it too. It's not he's he's well just blatantly he's just wrong about some of it. But Yeah. It that's not the point of it, you know. He he, he the way he plays the technology aspects of it though is something that you know, maybe he's not getting the specifics of it right, but he is getting something right in a way that it could very easily happen. I was going to say, everything he does is plausible, even if it's not exactly accurate. Let's just jump right into the recap. So that way we yeah. can talk uh, and get right into that and uh, jump right into the analysis. You know, I think the fun thing is, is we did the lion's share of it in the first episode. So we're actually, I really feel like we're going to get through the analysis pretty quickly and have just a good chunk of time to talk about the story and, like, analyze it. Do you know what I mean? I Yes, absolutely. I, it just, there's no, there's not a whole lot of exposition in the ha- this half of the book. It's all it is, it action. Beats of action, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's like 24. So, yes. Yes, it um, is. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> So uh, just this recap of Mr. Mercedes Part 2. If you missed it last time, this is the story of Bill Hodges and Brady Hartsfield and their intermingled um, story of serial killer and detective retired trying to catch said serial killer. So at the end of the um, last one, he said, uh, I'm going to find you and I'm going to get you and you won't see me coming. We jump into this one, and we're immediately taken to lunch with our three protagonists, Jerome, Janie, 
and Bill Hodges. Bill Hodges, the detective, retired. Jerome is his uh, technology-savvy uh, right-hand man. And Janie is um, Bill Hodges' paramour. So we get through all of that. We immediately jump to Brady. We learn a lot of really sad backstory about his little brother. And it is devastating. Um, we go to a viewing for Janie's aunt who has died. And we get a little bit more interaction mom. with uh, oh, J- mom. Janie's mom. Yeah, yeah excuse Janie's me. Mom. Thank you. I don't know why I said aunt. Uh, aunt Carolyn's her aunt. And she's the worst. Yeah, um, yeah. Charlotte, so we, Charlotte's a poof. Terrible, <laughs> She's yeah. a piece of work. Yeah. So we go there. We get a really cool interaction with Holly. Holly and um, Hodges become real good friends. Uh, Brady attacks the funeral in a way, and there is a bombing that explodes Hodges' car, and it kills Janie in something that was, uh, I'm not going to lie, it was very predictable and not a twist to me. I knew Janie was going to die. It was just a matter of when. Um, just because Hodges was getting too comfy, he was getting too complacent, and for him to actually catch the killer, he had she had he had to have a his beat of action, and because of that, Hodges turns into cold as ice. He immediately knows what he has to do, and he decides he's going to do it on his own. He gets his trio together, and that trio ends up being Jerome himself and Holly. They go and end up investigating Olivia's computer to find out that it had been serviced by a guy from their version of Best Buy, Discount Electronics. When they get there, they find out that it was serviced by a man named Brady. Brady has been off work for a couple of days, and somebody lets slip there that he has a second job, and slowly but surely, uh, they put together Brady Hartsfield. They go to his house, and that's when they come up with a lot of information. Uh, you know, they smell his mother being dead. Um, they go into his basement. They almost accidentally wipe his hard drive. They end up stealing a bunch of his stuff and going back to Hodge's house to investigate him. As they're investigating him all the time, Brady has his master plan put together, and it is a suicidal run at the boys or at the Round Here concert which is essentially uh, the biggest boy band in the world at this point. And he is going to create a, a giant bomb in the seat of his wheelchair that he is creating to uh, just try and get as many people as he can. He wants to be infamous. He wants to be the, the biggest uh, mass murderer in the world. He figures out his pl- um, he's got all of his plan going through all that. As he's finishing up all of that, Holly breaks into his uh, Brady's mother's computer. And inside of that, we find out that Brady's mom had been spying on her kid a little bit. And so they end up getting into Brady's computer, find a bunch of information basically about how he had built his own uh, bombs and that how he had bought a ticket for the Round Tier concert. And they end up rushing to the, uh, the stadium. As they get to the stadium, the most... We'll talk about this part. This is the part that yeah. gets me. <laughs> so they get to the stadium. Bill Hodges has a heart attack. Holly and Jerome are able to subdue um, Brady, defuse the bomb, and everything is fine. And, and that's what we're happily gonna, ever after. <laughs> quite literally, the most like happily ever after, besides Janie, sadly. Um, right. There is a little like epilogue of uh, Brady waking up and asking for his mother. So that's a little like... Hmm. But other than that, yeah, it is very much. And then they all became best friends forever and moved off to the rest of their world. And, uh, yep, that's the recap. So, uh, Kim, what exactly, where, what timeline are we dealing with? When did he write this book? Well, this book came out in 2014, in the spring of 2014. Um, It was right after Dr. Sleep, which 
of course, is the sequel to The Shining. It just hit me. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It just hit me this book is seven years old. And you said 2014, and I was about to say, wow, pretty recent. Yeah, not not as recent as you would think. No. Um, according to the note at the end, he finished writing it in September of 13. Um, so it's kind of a birthday present to himself. Um, and right before Revival. And I really like this because it's kind of a departure from typical Stephen King it's more of a murder mystery thriller instead of you know I mean Dr. Sleep was a sequel to one of the scariest books mm -hmm. The Shining and then you know followed up by another moderately scary book you know that was kind of inspired by Frankenstein with revival so kind of bookended by more traditional horror kind of stories yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, it's interesting, too, that right after Revival, um, uh, Finders Keepers came out, which is the sequel to uh, Mr. Mercedes. Right, right. Um, and... if, if you're not aware, listener, by the way, that this is a trilogy, Mr. Mercedes is part of three books called the Hodges, the Bill Hodges trilogy with our lovable oaf, Bill Hodges, as the lead, I hope and imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Yeah. Uh, before we get too far into uh, anything else, um, a couple of things to talk about. Um, first things first, please make sure that you like us on Facebook. We are trying to really improve our social media game. We have a lot of conversations going on over there. Um, and follow us on Twitter, where we're constantly talking to Steve almost exclusively. I don't know. I just want him to listen to our show. And so I keep asking him, just like, hey, Steve, maybe this episode's the one you'll like. Maybe one of these days he will, and we'll get some feedback, and that would be super cool. It'd be cool. I did not ask him if I could call him Steve, though, so maybe that is working against me. It that it could be. And we'll it find out be. one day, and I'll ask him to his face, and he'll say, actually, Otto, if you would have stopped calling me Steve, I would have come on the show years ago, and we'll just sit here silently crying. I mean, a girl could hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, we don't really have too much to talk about. Uh, we're gearing up for our uh, very special event. Uh, Kim, what is October 22nd? It's our one-year podcast anniversary and Otto's birthday. That's not as important. The important thing is the podcast thing. It is our one-year anniversary, and we're going to be doing something very special for it. So make sure that you pay attention here to our podcast feed and um, look forward to it. If you follow it, you should get notifications. And you'll mm-hmm. want them that week. And it also really, really helps us a lot. It's something that you can do very easily and for free. It's a free way to support us. Uh, another super free way to support us is to go into an Apple store or Walmart and go to all of their display phones and like our podcast there as well. Um, I'm not telling you to do that or suggesting you should do that. That's a terrible idea, wink, wink. Um, but if you do do it, it would help <laughs> us out a lot. Um yeah, uh, make sure you listen next week and follow us on Facebook to like and enter our giveaway for for crazy is as crazy does by the life of John a serial Medjit. killer. You got to say the life of a serial killer. There's another one out there called That's as right. crazy is as crazy does. But okay. we'll be giving away a copy of that, announcing the winner next week. So make sure you go to our Facebook page and uh, you uh, comment. And tag someone that you think would be interested in a book about serial killers. 
and uh, you interact with it. What else? And if you want to help us out financially, check it. Check out our Patreon uh, at patreon.com first time slash first time through. Yes, please. Uh, all of those, uh, m- all of that money goes to paying for our clean feed and our RSS feed and all of the different uh, things that we have to pay for to keep our podcast going. Um, well, and it's also covered equipment upgrades in the not too distant past. So it has, it um, has, um, you know, and and probably will again in the future. Absolutely will. Uh, we're definitely going to need to get uh, our own recording studio one day when we have twelve hundred podcasts that we're keeping track of. That sounds like a blast. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, if you have anything that you'd like us to announce or just to celebrate on the show, you'd like us to read, um, just give us a shout at firsttime3podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and we'd love to uh, put some of your messages up on the air. And uh, anything else that we can think of, Kim, that we need to uh, make sure everyone knows about? I can't think of anything. Maybe let's go ahead and get into the dissection of this book. And away we go. Awesome. So we ended the last one on a pretty big note, which was, I'm going to kill you. You won't see me coming. Um, And it really set the tone for what was about to happen. Um, I do think uh, some of what happens is a little predictable, but some of it is so wacky that you just, it could not have been predicted. And I don't believe yeah. anybody that says that they did predict it. Um, they, they, they didn't. No, not at all. Um, we get a really nice scene here right at the beginning, which is Bill Hodges and Janie and Jerome all having dinner or lunch dinner together at that fancy Italian restaurant. Uh, and they're just kind of going over the details of the case. It very much felt like intermission and you're coming back into the story. Um, and it's just kind of catching you back up. Yeah, it really did. It was a nice little recap. It was a good spot for us to stop. And it's a good spot for you to uh, jump back in. If you're wondering where we are analyzing this week, we are going from pages 280 to the end of Mr. Mercedes. So when, um, we jump, uh, we go through the scene, and, you know, we're not, we don't have to recap too much of it. Uh, it's very cute. It's very endearing. And once you get probably another 100 pages past this, you realize it is there to make you care about Janie a lot and to make you realize how cool she is and how important she is. And then when she gets ripped away, she, it hurts so much more. Yeah, the, uh, the one thing that I think that we need to make sure we mention in this is that, you know, Janie has decided that Bill is a private detective now and has given him a fedora because all private detectives need a fedora. You know, as everybody should know, if I you're mean, not a real private detective until you wear a fedora. Right. That's, every, that's private every, detective 101. Right. All the, yeah. all the noir films have that. You've, you've got to have it. So when she buys him this fedora, they wear it to lunch. Uh, and it is really uh, striking and it is specific, and it is very much, uh, you know, if you saw that hat, you'd be like, oh, there's that guy wearing that fedora. That's a very specific fedora. Um, and so, you know, it just really gives us a very specific detail about Kermit there, um, which is important. Um, Kermit, by the way, we did not mention this in too much detail last time, is Bill Hodges' first name. 
So uh, his name is Kermit William Hodges, and uh, that's just great. That's a great name. It's wonderful. So we uh, go from this really cute, endearing, wonderful moment, and we get um, real fast side shot uh, cut right over to Brady. And Brady is just getting home from work. And he, or not from work, he's getting home from uh, recon at the arena. And uh, when he gets home, he goes down into his basement and he sees a picture of his little brother on the way down. And he ends up sitting there for a few minutes and he gets lost in thoughts. And we, the audience, get treated to his thoughts in the form of a flashback. Yes. And, you know, I think that this is one of those really important, uh, this is not quite a dream sequence, but it, it's dreamy enough that I feel like that that might fall under dream corner because it's it really gives us a good, yeah, because it gives us a you good know, perspective into why Brady is. See, and that's who the thing is. for the first time in a while, we don't get much of a, uh, like a dream corner. Like nope, you're right, no this corner. is very dream-esque, but it's not a dream corner. We can't nope. like have this like full-on debate about it. It's because it has that dissociative feel to it that you're right. It has like a uh, like an ethereal quality about it. Just mm-hmm. like anybody could like be having this. It's a very relatable moment where you just accidentally sit down and you get lost in the thought of something, and then 15 minutes go by and you've basically relived that thing in your head. Yeah. Um, And it's a very strong dissociative episode that he has. And um, Frankie's backstory is rough. It hurts my heart. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's so, it's so tragic. He, um, Frankie is uh, his younger brother who um, from birth was not treated great. Um, And as he's being treated poorly, he ends up choking on a apple slice. And as he's choking on the apple slice, uh, Brady's mother, Deborah Ann, a uh, former cheerleader, she uh, decides that she's going to reach into his throat with her hand and pull the apple slice out. And in doing so, she actually forces the apple slice deeper into his throat. And what this does when she gets to the hospital is she's cut off oxygen to his brain for long enough that he now has brain damage. And uh, she's not excited about that at all. No, no, not at all. And, you know, they're already in pretty, pretty dire straits because, you know, her husband has been killed in a work accident and they took a settlement and the money was already almost gone. It's at the point now where she has to hire someone like as a full time daycare person to yeah, come a in caregiver to yeah take care of him and she ends up having to quit her job because she pays the caregiver more a week than she makes at her job um which while a lot of this is terrible there is a lot of very heavy-handed commentary on the way that we as a society treat single mothers especially those uh, single mothers of those with disabilities. Yeah, it's this is a really real scenario. I mean, daycare is expensive, and when you have daycare for a special needs child, it's it's out of it's out it's, of control. Especially when it's live in daycare. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, she quits her job and she ends up spending the next couple of years at home exclusively with Brady and Frankie. And uh, it's very rough. They do not have a good time. Um, Deborah Ann will uh, get very frustrated with Frankie and she will beat him and uh, different things. And she'll eventually, she has to go get her job back. So she goes and gets her job back. And at this point, uh, Brady is probably 12 and he is told that he's going to have to stay home and take care of her, of Frankie. And he doesn't know how to process his feelings of frustration except by the exact way that his mother did. So he ends up beating Frankie as well when he gets frustrated with him because he doesn't really understand any other way how to talk to Frankie or to do anything with Frankie. Well, and that's what he's been, that's what he's seen. Yeah. And like, that's just what he's, that's what he knows. And it gets to the point where they're having breakfast one day and um, Frankie is there and playing with his little toy truck and he ends up pushing it towards Deborah Ann. Deborah Ann Well, he pushes it. it towards the basement door. Well, no, he pushes it towards Deborah Ann and then Deborah Ann just kicks it. And oh, then Brady yeah. And Brady looks at his mom and he goes, Mom, why'd you just kick it? And he, she goes, I was just tired of him making that stupid noise. Frankie crawls over to get it, and uh, he can't see it because the lights are off. So Brady leans in, and he turns the light on, and Frankie is just peering over the edge. And this, I'm not going to lie, I think this is the part that spooked me the most. And I just wanted to, like, I'm going to read it from the book, if you don't mind. No, go read it, yeah, because this is really awful. Frankie crawled a little further, still blatting. He looked down. Brady looked at his mother. Deborah Ann Hartsfield gave the smallest, most imperceptible nod. Brady didn't think. He simply kicked Frankie's triple diapered butt, and down Frankie went in a series of clumsy somersaults that made Brady think of Fat Blue's brothers flipping his way along the church aisle. Brady, at, you know, 12, kills his little brother, his mother immediately, uh... Oh my god, Frankie fell. Yeah, she immediately makes it an accident. Not Brady, what have you done? Oh, he had an accident. Or she gets down there and she realizes that Frankie's still breathing. So she has, uh, her, uh, Brady go and grab a pillow and they smother Frankie. She gets a washcloth, cleans off his face, and they call the police and have a carefully concocted story of exactly what happened. And, uh... As I'm sure anyone that has put one plus one together could realize, uh, this is when Deborah Ann starts to drink very heavily. Yeah, she was she was drinking anyway, but now, you know, all of that and then all of this and then, yeah, just put her around the bend. This section of the story is what makes these books so worth the investment to me. Seeing mm-hmm. this just absolutely just bonkers uh, backstory for this character that is pretty grounded in real life. Um, right. I wish we could say that we haven't heard awful similar stories before, but I've heard awfuler stories in the real media of reality, sadly. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's, again, that this book kind of falls into that plausible category which gives it this underlying terror 
through the whole thing, you know, because everything that's happened so far um, and almost everything that happens in the rest of it, it, it's all plausible. Oh, absolutely. Especially like when he starts uh, the th- like going to large events, just is always a little spooky. Um, mm-hmm. So when he starts like planning something against a large event like that, um, and especially later on, the police get incredibly distracted. So knowing that, you know, 75% of the police force is doing something else is a very plausible thing, too. It's very scary. Right. Um, and so Brady comes out of these memories, and he is, uh, it really just strikes me, So, and I know that's why I'm going to mention it, but um, he comes out of these memories, and he shredded up a plastic bag in his lap just because he's unconsciously doing these things. And it's, you know, Stephen King has a really great way of adding all of these mental ticks into these characters to really show you like mental illness is so severe and on striking and you don't have any control over it. Yeah. And, and prevalent. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got a little bit. Everyone's got a little bit, you know, Bill's depressed and Brady's got all the Brady things. And, you know, Holly is Holly and, She's got all the Holly things. and So Brady comes out of this memory. He um, ends up checking uh, the, uh, randomly just checking the newspaper. Um, and he ends up seeing a small little blurb in a side panel about how Janie's mother has died. And someone, the journalist, has made the connection that it is the mother of the person whose Mercedes caused the Mercedes killings. Um and Brady reads all of this and immediately puts together that he wonders if the uh, if Hodges will be at the funeral and if he'll be at the viewing. And he thinks he'll be at all three. Right, because, you know, he knows from all, reading all his uh, crime books and watching all his shows that the police will go to events like that to see if, you know, the the perp will show up. Yep, so exactly. they just go to watch. So he, he, you know, he immediately surmises that Bill will, in fact, be there. And that's when he has a plan, and he says, you won't see me coming, and he has a hallucination of his mother, which is, uh, that was, it's the first time that we really see how far Brady's unraveled when he's yeah. starting to hallucinate. Yeah. Um, so we... Uh, jump over to Hodges and Janie. Janie presents, uh, tells Hodges to make sure he wears his hat because it's super cute on him and she loves it. And uh, I don't know, when you're in love and uh, your significant other says something looks cute on you and that you should wear it, you're definitely going to make sure you wear it because it just makes all of every, everybody in the situation happier. Yep. And so um, he makes a big effort to be wearing this hat. They go to the uh, viewing and it's, you know, all the usual characters are kind of the way that they are. Uncle Henry and Aunt Carolyn suck. Um, Charlotte. Charlotte, thank you. I don't know why I keep saying Carolyn. Um, <laughs> there's another character named Carolyn, I think, in this. Just not that one. Regardless. Um, as Either they're way. there, uh, not- or Hodges notices that Holly isn't in the uh, building with him. And he steps outside and he sees her chain smoking cigarettes on the uh, porch and uh, they start to have a good conversation and you find out that Holly just didn't want to see a dead body it was going to wig her out 
And so Hodges is like, okay, I'll get him to put the body away tomorrow so that way you can come inside. And she's like, oh, wow, really? That's super cool of you. And um, he ends up just ending it by saying, are you taking your uh, medicine? And she's like, how did you know I was on medicine? He's like, I'm a detective. Um, But she's being in the moment, you know, once he says all of that, you really like if you can put it together and be like, I mean, if you're Bill Hodges, too, if you're a good detective, you can put it together. But she's just being very erratic with her emotions. Yeah. Well, and, you know, she's he's called her Holly the mumbler. He didn't even understand what she ordered for dinner the other night. He can tell that she is not completely well. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it. but the the way he reaches out and makes friends with her after the way he treated her aunt, Olivia, who was also not mentally well, you know, he learned. He learned his lesson. Yeah, absolutely he did. And, um, oh, and especially, like, he just constantly thinks about the way he treated Olivia Trelawney and how he mm-hmm. didn't give her a fair shake in the world. And it's very, uh, it's a very telling quality about this man. It's a very good quality. Yeah. So, um, as they are leaving the uh, viewing that day, um, we get a little flash over to Brady, and we find out that Brady has actually been following Hodges today. And surprise, he surprise. does a little click-click on Thing 2, and as he does a click-click, he ends up stealing Hodges' um, uh, key code, stealing the peak, which is mm-hmm. his little clicker thing. So he's able to get in and out of Hodges' car now. And, uh, you know, it ends that day just very... Uh, it's, it's interesting, because this is where it does... It does um, Oh, I did it in the stand a couple of times, but it just does kind of like a, a world recap, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, on this night, everything was doing this, and people were doing this. Hodge's partner, Pete Huntley, was doing this. Um, and then uh, we uh, jump over, and it's the next day, and Janie and Hodges are getting ready for the funeral. Um, yeah. They go to the funeral, and... Um, you know, and I it might feel like we're going fast, but, like, this is as quick as it is in the book, too. Like, it, it, Yeah, it, it really is. is. I mean, this is, we're 24 is a, hours. I mean, I don't, we haven't been 24 sprint. hours Mm-mm. in the and, story time. Nope. And so they get to the funeral. Um, the body has been put away. Hodges, like, made sure to tell um, Janie to put the body away so Holly would come inside. They go inside, and... Holly gets into a fight with her mother and essentially uh, it's just Holly is not doing well. So she asked to ride with Bill to go back to uh, to go to the next part of the funeral, as you know, funerals do usually have multiple legs. And right. so um, she's like, I want to ride with him. And so they're like, well, no, Holly, you have to ride with your parents, even though you're a 45 year old woman. And she's like, OK, uh, fine. Uh, And Janie is the brilliant, magnanimous woman that she is. And she says, well, how about this? Why don't you go ride with them, Bill, and I'll drive your car? And uh, he's like, okay, that's fine. And then as he does, she does, she does a little whip around. And I imagine, like, I can't wait to see it in the TV series because it's um, Mary Lou Parker. And she's great. I love her so much. 
and she's going to do a cute little spin and she's going to take his hat off and she's going to put it on his head on her head and she's mm-hmm. going to say can't drive your car without your hat and then she walks out and uh, gets in the car um as she just, uh, they're driving away um they get to a stoplight and then out of nowhere boom it explodes and Janie gets blown up into like six pieces and it's wild and it was very exciting um and this isn't really the way that it's presented in the book. I did present it here a little bit more theatrically. Um, it's very similar to Harold's bombing in The Stand, actually. It's yeah. intercut between what's happening in Brady's perspective with also what's happening from Hodge's perspective. Right. So the bomb goes off. They rush to Janie. Uh, well, what's left of Janie. Right. And um, there's a very... One of my favorite parts of the book, actually, is Hodges sitting uh, there in that uh, road area trying to figure out what exactly he needs to do. And Mm -hmm. he explains how he ends up just going cold. And not like cold in a like shock way, but cold in a, I don't have time to be emotional about this. I will get, I will, (laughs) I will end this. And he goes from, I'm going to solve this and put this guy away, to, I'm going to kill this guy. Right. And um, Holly runs up, and he gives Holly some instructions. He gives her his phone number, and he has, and it's super cool, like, because he doesn't really give, like, clue you in on it, but he just has a master plan almost immediately. Yeah, he does, you know, because he's, I mean, he's, this is when he springs into action. I mean, and... Anybody will tell you that there are a lot of people who will flounder until there's a crisis. And when there's a crisis, they are immediately, they lock in, they have a plan, they take the actions, and nothing can sidetrack them. And that's what happens here with Bill. It just flips a switch for him, and he's all business, and he immediately has it under control. Yep. So from here, he gives Holly a plan. And he takes her phone number down. He calls Jerome and he tells Jerome exactly what he needs him to do. Well, and he doesn't take her phone number down. He asks her for her phone number. And she's like, all she's super upset and shoves her glasses case into his hand. And he just sticks it in his pocket. And, um, and, and he doesn't really think about it at all until the end of the information. He opens it and he realizes that there is one of her business cards in there. And that's how he ends up getting her number. Um, right. And it's interesting because while Holly is in shock, she is lucid enough to uh, accomplish, like, what she needs to do to, like, get her comeuppance. Right. Without well, – to, to get him her information without arise, um, arousing suspicion with her mom and Uncle Henry. Yeah. Um, so – she um, gets ushered away. Um, Bill ends up calling Jerome, and he gives Jerome ex- like instructions to go to Olivia's house and to investigate uh, the computer. Mm-hmm. And he ends up getting pulled into the station. Um, and honestly, I expected this to be a bigger plot point, but it's played off really beautifully. We get like two or three chapters of him being interrogated, and it's, he plays it off well. You know, oh, I'm doing this. I'm not in love with the woman. Like, none of these things. Right. And then um, she, uh, he gets out of there and uh, meets up with Jerome and Holly. Um, and there's a big reason why the police do not become a uh, part of the story, which is about to be revealed here in a second. But mm-hmm. 
while Jerome, while, while he is being interrogated by the police, Jerome ends up meeting up with Holly at Olivia's house, and he investigates the computer. That computer has these audio files saved on it. And, and, and it's important to note here, with Holly's help, yeah, Holly's um, the one that actually finds what they need. And it's revealed here, and it's really, uh, it's very interesting. Holly is much more technologically apt than Jerome is. She's actually able to do a lot more things than Jerome is, and she is much more uh, obsessive about it. So she is going to figure it out, um, and she does a really good job here, and she does uh, find these programs, and Jerome ends up playing them. And one is a crying baby. And the other is a woman screaming, saying, how can you let them kill my child? Mm -hmm. um, which are the ghosts that Olivia Trelawney had been hearing. And at this point um, is when Hodges shows up. Uh, and they end up finding a... Uh, and they put oh. two and two together pretty quickly and figure out that the computer has been controlled remotely. So it had to be somebody who had access to the computer to put the program on there to be able to access it remotely so they start looking for who took care of her computer mm -hmm. and they find the best buy uh or not best buy discount electronics mm -hmm. uh business card and they get uh led to that um and as they end up going to discount electronics um there's some fun, like, character stuff that happens. Like, Jerome offers to give him a ride and chauffeur him around for the day, but it's just a... It, it ends up being a good plot ruse to make sure Jerome is here on all of the action from the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. um, which is really cool, and it's very interesting. Um, he ends up calling, uh, and they get that information. He ends up uh, going to Discount Electronics with Jerome, and Holly is already there. And Holly has actually just figured it out on her own. And she was like, oh, I figured you guys would be here. So uh, I'm glad I was right. Yeah. And they're like, how'd you get here? Yep. And she's stolen the Mercedes that has been she responsible for everything. Right. Right. She didn't steal it, per se. She borrowed it. She found the <laughs> keys for it. She found the keys. She drove it. Um, but she does not have her license, which is uh, made very clear to them. So they go inside to Discount Electronics, the three of them. And at this point, you know, these are our three musketeers. This is our main trio. These are our protagonists. Um, and it's cemented in my head, mm -hmm. like, you know. And they uh, go to talk to um, the guy who was, uh, what's his name? Tones Frobisher. Tones Frobisher. Brady's boss at Discount Electronics. And, you know, um, they find, you, it's interesting because from Brady's, Brady's point of view, it always seemed like these people were none the wiser. But then they're both like kind of, yeah, Brady's a little weird. He's a he's an odd one. Uh, right. And uh, it's interesting that uh, uh, they end up doing this because uh, they find out that he has a second job and they also find out his name. Right. Yeah, and they figured out. Or not his name, out. his address. His address. They have his name because they figured out who wasn't there from the website. You know, they go in and there's only three people listed on the website as possible techs, and two of them are there. So um, they know pretty quickly that they're in the right place. They've got the right thing. They just have to get his address, which, yep. of course, they get. Uh, 
And at this point, it kind of flashed sideways for us into a moment that doesn't make much sense now. But it is of two unnamed detectives that we'd never met before. And they pull over a car. And as they, or they don't pull over a car, they pull up behind a car. And as they pull up behind a car, they end up dropping a box. And it's got uh, just a rocket launcher inside of it. Right, yeah. So, you know, we know from Bill's discussions with his former partner that they've got several big cases that they've been following and one of them surrounds a pawn shop. And so, you know, these new out of nowhere detectives, they stop for lunch and they see this guy coming out of the pawn shop with a rocket launcher. (laughs) I mean, it's in a box, but it comes open. They see a rocket launcher. All hell breaks loose. Um, so, it uh and it, it just cuts away from there too so then it's like oh okay we got that scene i wonder why that's important mm-hmm. and um it's a good time jump because as we come back to the trio the our three musketeers they've arrived at the hartsfield residence and as they pull in the neighbor comes out and uh, essentially says you know hey uh what are you guys doing this isn't your house and Bill, charming as ever, ends up getting information out of this guy about Brady and, like, what kind of color car he drives and everything. And he has a little uh, memory flash of seeing the same mud-colored Subaru after his car got exploded. Mm-hmm. So he's able to... He, he's, his subconscious and his intuition are putting it together here. They, he ends up going into the house alone at first because he's worried uh, of anyone being in there. He gives a walkie-talkie to Jerome, and he essentially says, you know, if I'm not back in a couple of minutes, call the police. If you don't hear from me every 30 seconds on this walkie-talkie, assume the worst. Right. He goes into the house, and, you know, there's no one there. Right, there's no one there. That's when he finds, you know, Deborah Hartsfield's body. And the basement, all the stuff that's left, which is not much. He finds that there's not much there. Right. Um, He goes downstairs and he finds the computer and he tries to turn it on. And all of a sudden it just starts counting down from 10. um, And he doesn't know what to do. Uh, Or no, he doesn't do that. Uh, Holly, Jerome does that. Jerome does that. He and Holly turns it off, right. And he decides not to turn it on, so he goes and he gets the kids, and he says, hey, guys, like everything's okay, come on in. They go in, and Jerome tries to turn on Brady's computer, and it starts counting down from 20, about to ex- uh, just erase the hard drive. And so Holly is smart enough to turn it off real quickly. And uh, Holly has the realization that uh, it's voice activated. And so they're trying to figure out uh, what to do with that, they continue to look around. They're trying to find his password and everything. And then Holly again, you know, Holly really does start putting together a lot of these puzzle pieces. She's a very uh, good little detective assistant. Yeah, she, her, she's very methodical in her thinking. She, she thinks things through in a very logical manner. And, you know, this gives her a chance to, to show what she's capable of. Yeah, and her idea is that she knows that she, as a um, mentally disabled person, has a mother who is constantly checking up on her. Mm -hmm. So she thinks that Brady, who is also a mentally disabled person, will also have 
his mother constantly checking up on him. So her idea is to get into her mother's, uh, to Deborah's computer and see if she can't suss out any information. Mm-hmm. Jerome and Bill do not think this is going to work. They think it is a dead end. And they have essentially given up. Um, so um, Bill ends up calling his partner to try and, you know, essentially turn himself in and say, right. hey, I've been working this case and I got a lot of information and I'm really worried that something bad's going to happen now. He calls Pete and Pete is freaking out, super excited. And we find out that the rocket launcher that those two unnamed detectives had found led to the largest uh, guns bust in uh, like the New York uh, police history. Right. So they are just, they are swamped. They are doing way too much. They are trying to, you know, they're, they're not doing anything really. They're getting publicity. They're taking pictures and they're doing uh, photo shoots and they're doing all these things that are like, look how cool we are. Look how like strong we are. Look how, um, enforceful we well, are and, and, I, and inventorying stuff and but but basically the whole force is there because you know they got the bust i really the atf 100 i really just enjoyed the commentary that stephen king put in about there is definitely a time where the police are not doing any work and all mm-hmm. they are doing is trying to gain public favor right um and it is very obvious right uh and so we end up, uh, he ends that phone call and he just kind of ends up realizing that there's nothing the police can do for him. He's on his own. Right. On they're, he's on, they're on their own. He's on his own because they're all occupied. Um, they end up uh, trying to have these conversations. And Jerome uh, has a very, uh, he has a, a subconscious brain blast just before everyone else. And he kind of has the idea that what if, Brady's going to do something to the concert tonight that right. his little sister his and little mother sister are going and to. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I, I should call them and tell them that to not go. And Hodges is like, no, don't do that. That's ridiculous. Like, it, it, no, no, it's not going to be that. He's not going to do something like that. He's going to do something like no, this. No, he said, he said it was going to be the weekend. The message said it would be on the weekend. And there's this right. other thing that's on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Thursday's not the weekend. Yeah, Thursday isn't the weekend. He says, enjoy your weekend. I know I'll enjoy mine. And so... He's, they're trying to figure out where he could be trying to hit, and they end up just not getting anywhere at the house. So they pack up a bunch of the stuff, and they go back to um, Olivia's, uh, Trelawney's house. No, or no, no, they, they go, go back, back to they go Bill's back to house. Bill's. Mm-hmm. They go back to Bill's yeah. house, and they have all this stuff there, and uh, they start looking at all these things. Well, and, and, and Holly's trying, still trying to break into Deborah's computer. Yes. And and Holly, because, you know, she's Holly. And first of all, you're going to have to know, I really love Holly. <laughs> um, she stole Deborah's wallet, thinking that there might be a clue to what her password is on her computer in her wallet. Yeah. So they um, have Deborah's computer and her wallet. So they're in there. They're talking and... Um, they have uh she's trying to figure out the password and bill's just kind of having a very uh down on himself moment trying to figure out what it all is um and they end up uh man i'm trying to find out what exactly it was so they holly's like give me 
20 more minutes. And Bill goes in to try to help her out because, you know, he's a retired detective. And so he starts going through the wallet and he finds a picture of Deborah and Brady um, from a vacation on a beach somewhere. And he takes it out of the little plastic sleeve that it's in and turns it over. And it says, you know, me and Honey Boy. And he told her to try that. Try Honey Boy. Sure enough. It works. It worked. Honey Boy is the nickname that she'd been calling Brady the uh, entire throughout the entirety of the novel. So it was mm -hmm. a good, uh, it was a very good password and moment. Um, when she gets into the computer, it kind of revitalizes everything and they get a list um, deep, deep into the computer, they find just kind of a Word document about Brady with his social security number, his uh, license, and all that information. Um, they also end up finding a uh, little bit of it that talks about Brady's basement, and it gives a couple of uh, keywords, I guess, like passwords, and yeah. um, what Deborah's best guess as to what they do is. Um, and they get very excited about that. Through all of this that we've been talking about, we get glimpses of Brady at the same time. We get glimpses of Brady hiding his car. We get glimpses of Brady going to get his last meal. We get glimpses of Brady staying at a hotel for the night. We get glimpses of Brady building his bomb wheelchair. Mm -hmm. um, but they're all very much the same. They are fatalistic thoughts of a man who is about to die. You know? And, not... and he and he's he's he wants to go out in a blaze of glory. He wants to take as many people as he can, but he'll settle for as he'll settle for whatever he can get. But he wants to take as many people as he can. Yeah, he wants to be infamous. He wants to be uh, the one of the largest mass murderers of all time. And uh, as uh, and, and I just wanted to set that up so that way um, so that way you know like we're not going to go through all of Brady's story because. We're going to catch up with him again when he is going to the concert. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, they figure out the list of all these voice words, they rush back to the house. They go downstairs, and Jerome actually sounds enough like Brady that they're able to use his voice to um, turn on all of the voice controls. So they yeah. turn on the light, and they turn on all the computers, and they start going through all the computers... And at this moment, Steve takes this time to uh, make you worry about Jerome's little sister. Mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoyed this part. Uh, it was some real dramatic irony. So Jerome's family and, uh, like, Jerome's mom and little sister and his little sister's, like, four friends get to the arena. And as they're walking, uh, pulling into the arena, they see a man in a wheelchair struggling to get his way across the road and they're like oh man we should go and help him and they're like okay if he's still there like when we get there we'll go and help him and then at the same like time we read a chapter that is from Beatty's point of view of him being in a wheelchair not knowing how to use it and struggling to get across the road mm -hmm. there's this intangible connection that's made between Brady and Jerome's family and Steve takes advantage of it consistently from that point on right right he makes sure that you know that barbara jerome's sister knows notices him and recognizes him and 
kind of keeps tabs on him. And he already know, you know, of course, he's the ice cream man. So he knew who she was and spotted her and was that added to his excitement because knowing that it was going to directly affect Bill and Jerome. He was going to take out part of Jerome's family made him even mm-hmm. more excited about the whole entire plot. Right. Right. You know, and of course, Brady had disguised himself. He had shaved his head and was wearing oversized clothes and, He's you know, also just in a wheelchair and, and put himself in a wheelchair and just, you know, made himself look enough different that, you know, even people who, and, and he's such a loner that probably nobody would recognize him, even the people who know him. Yeah. Because he doesn't have those, those connections. He has like two of them. Right. Well, and one of those is his mom and she's dead. (laughs) (laughs) So he has one of them. Right. So, you know, he really doesn't have anybody to, to recognize him or to stop him or notice him or notice that anything's even out of place. They're in Brady's house. Jerome gets into the voice locks and they end up going through uh, the computers and they end up finding on his download history that he's downloaded the Anarchist Cookbook, which is a banned book in America that teaches you how to make improvised explosive and weapons from household objects. And um, he's learned how to make those explosives. He's also bought tickets, a single ticket to... uh, the Round Here concert. During the time that they're going through this, Bill Hodges collapses over and he thinks, oh no, I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> and um, so for the rest, for the next half hour, Bill right. Hodges then, is know, just going like, to be casually like, having no, a no. heart attack. He's like, no, no, it's fine. I've got some heartburn. <laughs> He's I've like, no, it's burn. good. And he's just sitting here, like, burping up, almost vomiting uh, acid reflux. Just, oh, no, I'm fine. It's not a heart attack. I'll be good. Don't worry about it. we got to stop the mass murderer. Um, right. And it's, it makes sense. He's a very old man. Uh, he's out of shape, overweight. He, not very old. I guess he's not very old at all. He's just older. Yeah, he's, he's older. He's not even kind of very old. He's I mean, just, he's... He's in his early 60s. He's not Yeah, he's old. not old at all. So, you know, he's just overweight and he hasn't taken care of himself, though. And so he's in a very stressful situation. He's been in a very mm-hmm. stressful situation for two days straight now. So it makes sense that his heart's starting to give out a little bit. Um, they realize all of this and they take off towards the uh, arena because the concert's mm-hmm. about to start and they have nothing else that they can do. Yeah. Earlier, when Jerome had been worried about uh, the concert, Bill tried to appease him by calling the head of security at the concert who he was old friends with and telling him, like, hey, there's going to be a man called Brady who's trying to get into the concert, and they said he was a child molester and that you should take him out. And the head of security was like, oh, yeah, I'll get him. Um, right. But they gave him the picture from Best Buy, from Discount Electronics. Right, right. So, you know, it doesn't even look like him. Not at all. So... He gets he Brady is able to slide in very easily in his wheelchair with all of his explosives, and they are very kind and they even help wheel him into his seat. Um, and so as Brady is sitting there, he sees Barbara for across the arena, and they make eye contact, and uh, the music starts and the, the 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 concert begins, you know, and everything like it's super happy and jivey and good, 
and uh, at the same yeah. time, and Jerome's trying to call his mom, tell her yes. get out of there. But you know, as as you as anybody knows, anytime you go to a big event, anywhere where there's lots of people, there's no cell phone signal. You're not getting a call through. It's not happening. No calls, no text. It's not happening. Yeah, it definitely, uh, and it's gotten better in the last, you know, couple of years, but it's still something, you know, when you have that much cell convergence in one space, it's hard. It is hard. And so um, we get these, it's intercut all of those scenes of uh, the concert happening, and this is where it gets very similar to, uh, you know, the denouement of uh the stand in fact too mm-hmm. with these intercut moments with between, the back and forth and they're yeah. like all like a page and a half you know like a page basically they're, they're fast fast moments and each mm-hmm. one leaves you wanting to know what's happening in the the rest of that story but also when you go into the next part you're like oh yeah this part's happening too i wanted to know what's going on here um so they end up they rush into the arena they pull into the back way they ding up the mercedes on the way in they rush out and they start running in and uh bill starts to collapse his heart is is it's done so it's it's a goner city and so he has his heart attack and as he's falling he pulls jerome and holly down and he's like here's what you need to do and he kind of like relays his plan to him um it is so it's very close to when uh Brady was planning on setting off the bomb. They start Mm -hmm. their big final song, which is the one that they're so excited about. And this is the part of the book that made me actually laugh out loud, Kim. I laughed so hard because, you know, it's just set up in this big climatic way. You think something crazy is going to happen. And then all Mm -hmm. that happens is Holly just runs up and beats the shit this man i know and i love <laughs> it's it it's so funny i love it you just think like oh man like something's gotta happen they gotta stop this mass bombing like something's gonna happen and no holly's just gonna go ham on this guy she, she takes, is she gets the she happy, takes slapper. happy slapper yep. and whamma <laughs> and just starts whacking him um and, and and all the while, you know, picturing her tormentors from high school that had been that had been bullying her and that had bullied her into a nervous breakdown, and she's like, "Take this, you, because you're this person in my head," and she and, just waylays him. And Jerome's just standing there trying to figure out what's going on, and it's really interesting because he ends up uh, as soon as like he gets Holly to calm down a second, he rushes in because like the bomb's still there, the bomb's still mm-hmm. active. But I have learned from reading this novel, to disarm a bomb, all you have to do is take the batteries out, and you're good to go. Right. So, don't forget, if you're ever in a situation where there's a bomb, take the batteries out, and you're, you're fine. I mean, at least in this case. <laughs> so, they take the batteries out of the bomb, and it's fine. Um, and a very funny moment happens, because Barbara, and uh, who is Jerome's sister and Jerome's mother, they come all the way around the arena, and they're just like, why are you beating up this man in a, ho- a wheelchair? What are you doing, Jerome? And uh, it's just very funny. I thought that was a very like humorous moment, um, because it kind of sets up them having to spill their guts about everything. You know, right. there's no way that Jerome can hide it now. His mother just saw this. Like, so it's going to come out now. And uh, they disable the bomb. They uh, get um, they get Brady out of there. And uh, they continue the concert. Right. Um, like nothing happened. Like there was never they a bomb at the all. They saved the day. They saved the day. And that's the end of that chapter. And we're kind of treated with, you know, this is um, 
when you look at like story structure and everything, this is the resulting action. So, mm -hmm. you know, our heroes have returned home. How are things different now? Yeah, um, I mean, and Bill Bill made it to, woke up in the emergency, or woke up in the hospital. Oh, that they is the last section the there. My bad. Room. Yeah, that's, that's important. You know, Bill did not die. He woke up in the hospital and, uh, you know, his his former partners there going man <laughs> you did it this time didn't you uh so yeah so bill's okay he's in the hospital but fine everybody makes it out he wakes up and he's just like oh my god did they stop him and they're like don't worry holly beat the heck out of him he's yep. done for he's and done he's like for. oh okay good and he passes back out yeah and so um in response to all of this the mayor of New York decides, you know what? These kids deserve free bus rides and free museum tickets for the rest of, or for 10 years for saving the city from this uh, incredible event. And uh, that ends up being uh, just a fun little plot point, you know? It's, it's to reward Jerome and Holly, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um so we get into the next little bit of wrap-up section, and we find out that Holly has inherited Olivia's uh, Mercedes, and she now lives in the city on her own. She had to right, fight because, very hard for it. Right, because when Olivia died, Janie got all the money. And when Janie died, she made sure Holly was taken care of. Some, something, she changed her will to make sure that Holly was taken care of so that Holly could do, could live on her own. And so here she is. She's got the Mercedes. She's got enough money to live on. She's living in the city. And she's feeling good about it. Like, you know, it's it was definitely an awakening for Holly. She's going to therapy now. And there's like one small little line, um, which I thought was very sweet. And it was really endearing. And it made me love Holly a lot, where she says, uh, you know, I don't always have to be the little child crying in the bathtub for the rest of my life. I can decide to get out of the bathtub or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, oh, here it is. Also, to realize I don't have to be that 14-year-old girl curled up in the bathtub for the rest of my life. Um, it was very, it was just a very, like, it was very cute. It was a very good moment. It was very beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, we find out Hodges has a pacemaker now, and, you know, he's doesn't trust technology in any way so he's pretty sure he's gonna die again um and that's a little bit of me reading between the lines and assuming a little bit about bill's character yeah. but uh he's definitely hesitant um you find out he got offered a job uh with the uh security guard service that he ended up uh working uh talking uh asking questions about through the beginning of the novel Right, but he can't because he can't be bonded because he broke the rules mm -hmm. by investigating all of the things by himself. Which means he also can't get a private eyes license, so he can't do the thing yeah. he obviously wants to do. Right. And uh, he ends up just kind of being Dog the Bounty Hunter. Yep. Yep, so he does. He and and a... he hires Holly to... Work do with the, him do the and computers. do the computer work and, you know, they have an office and they do the things and Holly does the desk work and Bill does the leg work and. Jerome's obviously going to hang out and do stuff with yeah, him. Well, Jerome's going to, you know, he's going to finish high school. He's going to go to college, but he's going to be around some. Absolutely. Um, 
And then the very final chapter, we're treated to a man at the traumatic brain injury clinic, um, specifically a um, wing of the hospital for when women beat the heck out of people with socks filled with ball bearings. Mm-hmm. And um, a certain Brady Hartsfield wakes up and asks for his mother. And that is the end of Mr. Mercedes by Stephen King. I'm curious. Uh, you don't have to tell me. I can just, I'll, I'll go and read the like blurb of Finders Keepers. Um, does Brady come back? Is he another villain? Or is he just there? Do we ever see Brady again? I'm gonna wait on that. I'm not no. gonna answer that question. I wanted yeah. answers. I no. wanted immediate no. satisfaction. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. Um, Mr. Mercedes is a great novel, uh, really incredible. And you know, up until this point, we haven't read very much human suspense from Steve. We've read some of it. You know, later had a, quite a bit of it, but. Obviously, when you introduce the ghost light into it, I'm going to not take it as a grounded, realistic uh, story at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, you know, uh, I think that Steve probably shows a little bit of mysticism into every book. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Holly had some level of supernatural mysticism. If she had, um, if she's like one of the white uh uh, the people of white from that uh, is are talked about in the stand. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, you know, I, I just, she was that type of character, um, showing up at the right time, doing what was needed in the right moments, um, and uh, just she had. You got to have a certain amount of luck to run up to a man with a bomb strapped to every single piece of his body and just beat the heck out of him. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Um. You know, do you want to know um, a couple of, like, really interesting fun facts I liked about this? Yes. Tell me what you liked. So, uh, well, this is just, it's it's, a, it's not as much like a segue. It's not as much like a what I liked thing, just as a thing that I thought was interesting. Did you know that in a movie, um, villain characters are not allowed to hold iPhones? Huh. So, um, I spoilers. I didn't know that, but, but yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense yeah spoilers for um a couple of movies here but um particularly the movie knives out have you ever seen the movie knives out yes so if you watch the movie knives out again for me to watch yeah no it's super i you didn't like it oh no i loved it but i don't do vomiting oh yeah that was and (laughs) so that movie was super hard to watch Um, i I really loved the movie so it was worth it but it's a it's a really good movie and if you haven't seen it yet definitely go watch it because spoiler alert if you watch it again um you'll notice that the only character that doesn't have an iphone is the inspector and the person that did it um and it's because apple has a rule if you are going to use an iphone in a movie you can't be let it be used by someone that's seen as a villain now, what I think is heckin' interesting about this is that Brady has an iPhone and a Mac product, and he has all of these Apple products. So obviously, these, these rules do not apply in the book world. I was going to say, in written fiction, it's, the rules are different. Yeah, so I think it's just, it's very interesting that, for me, the moment that I saw that Brady had an iPhone, it was just like, oh, the villain has an iPhone. Like, that's different. That's usually not allowed. I like that. Uh, and it's just like a small like, little twist 
Um, and maybe, you know, somebody learned a new fact out there. I think it's really interesting. Uh, just Yeah, I didn't know that. That's yeah. that really cool. The way that product placement works and the way that, like, you can use product placement to kind of determine movies sometimes. Yeah, no, and it, it, that absolutely makes sense. I just didn't, I had never really noticed it. And so now I will be on the lookout for that and be like, oh, that's the bad guy because he doesn't have an iPhone. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Uh, so this book, I think, is well stru- structured. It was well written and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I don't think there's actually too much wasted in it. It's a very tight novel. It's very well written. I think very obviously, um, we know it, the audience knows it, and Steve knows it. Um, Some of the technology is not accurate in any way. Um, But he gets it close enough. Yeah, he gets it close enough that it's believable. 100%. And I think that that's, that's what's important about this story is just that chilling feeling of the next time you go to a concert, just watching out and not knowing yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's just, you know, this falls, this book to me falls into, like I said previously, a similar category as uh, Misery. Because mm-hmm. what makes it, what gives it its scare factor which there isn't much of one, but what gives it its scare factor is that this could, not only could this happen, this has happened. I mean, not exactly, you know, like with the, you know, with the car and the thing, but this happens and things like this happen, unfortunately, in our country every day. Well, and what was incredibly terrifying when I was reading through just some uh, trivia facts about this novel after I finished it is it was originally scheduled to come out a week after the Boston Marathon bombing that had happened. Mm-hmm. Yes. But Stephen King was like, hey, let's postpone that. This is right. way too eerie. Yeah, way, way too scary. Because it's a similar, Brady's weapon is a similar kind of bomb. Homemade explosive. Homemade explosive with shrapnel that was, was used in that Boston Marathon bombing. Um, well, and it's just interesting to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to see the TV show. I'm very interested to see how it ended up working out. I know, um, you know, that they added a character and stuff, uh, or that they added like a, a person and like combined a character. I don't know. I've read like half a sentence on it and then realized I was spoiling something and I walked away from it. Um, but I'm very excited to see what they... Not what they changed, but how they adapted it. You yeah, know? I'm really... I've watched the first couple of episodes and really enjoyed the setup. Okay. I enjoyed where it started. So, And I feel like that it's, the, it's a good amount of material to transfer to a, ser- a TV series. Because um, I think that each season has like maybe eight or ten episodes. So I feel like... It, it's a good amount for that. Final impressions? Anything else you want to say about the book? What Did you notice anything new reading through it again? I really didn't. I've read this one recently enough that you know, it was all still pretty fresh in my mind. Because it's a, it, I don't even think it's been 18 months since I had read this leading up to this. So it, it was still all pretty fresh. And I remembered the plot points pretty well and... So that nothing really just stood out this time because it had been so recently that I reread it. Okay. 
Um, as a person reading through it for the first time, um, I noticed, um, I think it's interesting how as Steven's gotten older, his, um, his characters, his protagonists have also gotten older and we can definitely see that through his writing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's expected of someone. Uh, you know, you start to relate with older people as you get older. Um, right. You know, write what you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it is... I think he's getting... I think that he has gotten to the point now where he realizes that some of the scariest stuff that happens are when people do the bad things that we know people can do. Right. The people are the monsters. Yeah. Scooby-Doo got it right. Scooby-Doo got it right. The people are the monsters. Um, and I think that going through it for the first time, it's really... Jerome and Holly and Bill are such a weird trio. And it's, it's a good... It's a very good feeling at the end. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not three people that you would normally think of clicking together mm -hmm. and just honestly i didn't expect to well like i didn't expect to feel good about it at the end i didn't expect mm -hmm. to like like the the i didn't i mean i don't like that holly just ran up and whacked this guy i think it would have been a lot cooler if there had been some more grace to it but also what else was she gonna do <laughs> right you know? yeah what else was she gonna do and you know the fact that she was able to channel that anger and actually do it was so huge for There's her just, as a character, for her as a person. Something you know. about it is just so funny to me, and it made me laugh so much. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, well, if you don't got anything else to say, I feel like we need to rate this, baby. I do feel like we need to rate this. I've got our spreadsheet up here so I can document it for us. I do, too, actually. <laughs> um so you've been watching oh, you made editing. a new tab. I see I what you did. did. I feel like I just that's probably made a, new, a little more organized. I just wrote season two and Mr. Mercedes in there. I didn't see the new tab. I just deleted it. Now you can't see it. You'll never know what I did. All right. Okay, so what do you think for the writing? Um, all right, so writing. Hmm. So just to recap our plot, our, our, uh, our three-point scale. Every one of our books is rated on three different factors on a scale of 1 to 10. Those three factors are writing, plot, and it factor. Writing is the sentence structure. It is the word choices. It is the actual writing of the book. The, the technical stuff. The yeah, technical how, writing. How long is it? Is it pretty? Did he use adjectives well? Um, the plot is our characters, and it's our story. Are the characters good? Are they well-rounded? Are they written well? Are they dimensional? Is the plot easy, predictable? Is it interesting? Is it done a thousand times? Um, does it end well? Which I think is something that most Stephen King fans and people that don't know Stephen King especially um, like to stereotype. And then right. our personal favorite um, category, the it factor. The it factor, um, and I thought of a great way to phrase this, the it factor on a scale of 1 to 10 is how likely are you to start a podcast with your friend about this book? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just essentially that, that feeling that you get when you read through a book and you're like, this is special and I love this. This is good. This is great. Um, you know, I, I want to share, share this, this with people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, and there's a lot of things that go into it factor. And, you know, I think that if you listen back through last season, you'll see that there's a lot of things that would change these ratings. Um, but that's our scale overall. We start with writing and we progress through there. At the end of it, we rank everything on um, a total. Um, we do, we even out our ratings. So we add our two together and we multiply it so we get the average. And then we add everything together and divide it by three so we get an overall 10 point rating from yep. the two of us. So for writing on this book, let me look at season one real quick. <laughs> so season one, four. You know, my first instinct right here uh, is to give it a six. And if I give it a six, that puts it in the company of the body, an apt pupil, um, and just underneath Eyes of the Dragon and later. Um, and I do think that that is about where I'd put it. Um, a six seems solid to me for Mr. Mercedes. It's a really strong opening. It's a really great um, book. There is nothing particularly special or fascinating about the writing of this book. It is, it's very, it is, it is at this point, you know, 35 years into his career, to me, this is him having a really great story and a really cool idea and then using just all of the basic tricks that he knows to get it out as quick and easy as possible. This is a popcorn book to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this I can see that. This is honestly not meant for what we did. It's not meant for a deep analysis. It's no, meant for it's you really to read not. it and go, whoa, Holly's cool. She'd beat that guy up. Right. Yeah. See, and I was going to give it a seven um, for writing, but only because okay. of the pacing. Okay. Um, not only because of the pacing. It's a good story. It's, it's tight. There's not a whole lot of wasted words. And... I'm giving it the seven because I couldn't put it down. I When I sat down and read this book the first time, I read it in a day. Because I couldn't yeah. put it down. I mm -hmm. was engaged in the story from the very beginning, and the pacing was such that it was hard to walk away from. Definitely, and I can see that. I would say that the pacing in the first half is very much... It is significantly slower. You know, it actually makes me feel like it's a car getting ready, you know? It is mm -hmm. warming up and revving warming up, up, and then it's it's going. You can't stop it at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I think a, a 7 is a good rating. Onyx, do you give it a 7, too? Is that what you wanted to say? Um, so, uh, okay, moving on to the plot. Uh, plot characters are great. I really enjoyed our main three. Um I really hated the people I was supposed to hate. Uh, the story is uh, good. Honestly, it was not super predictable. I didn't expect Brady to be just blatantly trying to get Bill Hodges to commit suicide and then eventually, um, you know, flip on himself and get himself to commit suicide. Oh, I really enjoyed the twist um, when Brady's mother ate the hamburger. I thought that was particularly well executed and well done. It was not obvious in any way. And... Uh, it, it really played off well. Mm -hmm. So plot, I would probably give it... Um, let me double check my ratings in season one to keep this in track. You know, we had to do a lot of fixing last time because I did not pay attention then. Um, right. You know, I think I want to give it a, a, a seven. Seven puts it right up there, right next to apt pupil again. And I think that mm -hmm. that's a good spot for it. 
Yeah. But it makes it better than the plot of Eyes of the Dragon, better than the plot of Shawshank, and better than the plot of later. And I think that those are all like, yeah, that all makes sense to me. Yeah, all right. I, I, I'm comfortable with that because I was also going to give it a seven. Um, you know, the character development in this is, uh, it's really good. And knowing that there are two more books that we get to read about these same characters, it was exciting because I knew there was more coming when I read it the first time. So I knew that, that I was going to get to hang out with Bill and Jerome and Holly some more. Absolutely. And um, I really enjoyed that. And I, you know, I'm a huge fan of how well he develops a character. We read a short story last two weekends ago. Um, it was only four pages long. And you got character development in those four pages. He's the master of that. And, um, you know, these characters, while they're not anything just completely outrageous, I really enjoy them. Um, so I'm going to give it a seven also. I do. Um, just to like point out the things why it did lose a couple of points for me. Um, some of the characters that we do encounter through the story are nothing more than props. Um, and they're used exactly as nothing more than props. Um, they don't even feel like real people. And I didn't right. like that much. Um, I didn't like the character Isabel in particular. Um, which is Pete Huntley's new uh, partner. She was kind of painted to me as just like a, like an overbearing, naggy type of woman. And I didn't like that caricature of her. I did have a headcanon that it's the same Isabel from later. And I thought that would be cool. Hmm. Right? Wouldn't that be crazy? That's my headcanon that and my theory crazy. right now. Okay. All yeah. right. I don't um, hate that. Yeah. And then, you know, when I frame it that way, it makes more sense that I just don't like her maybe right. more as a character, um, which I thought was interesting. I definitely want to go check through later and see if there's a Pete Huntley reference in there at all. Um, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to read right? it again. Uh, and I am, you're right. I am excited that there is more of it. I do want to read more of their exploits. Yes. And so, uh, It Factor, Kim, I think you go first this time. What are you doing for It Factor? I'm going to give it an eight. Because this is absolutely a book that I would say, that I would feel comfortable recommending somebody start with. But is this a book where you're going to get them on that Steve life? Are you going to get them, like, uh, hooked? Are they going to be reading everything? Yes. You think so? Yes, because I and, and I can say that with confidence because I know where the characters go. Okay, but hmm. so I guess then that, to me that makes it sound like you're not just saying that it's this one novel. It is the series. Well, no, it, it is it is the series, but it's a really good starting spot because you almost have to read three books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then once you get to the end of the third, by the time you get to your third book, you're you're Stephen King for life. <laughs> Okay, I'm excited then. That'll make the third book good. Um, Here's the thing then. I guess that this is where it gets interesting because for me as a first-time reader, it's a good book and I like the characters. I probably will never read it again. Okay. It just doesn't have that it factor. It doesn't have that. It doesn't. I don't have a need to reread it. You know, even with The Stand, when we finished it, there was a need that I was like, man, I've just devoted two months of my life to this. Should I just start rereading it again? Yeah. Um, you know, and like there's that like draw, whereas Mr. Mercedes, yes, there is a draw to continue the series, 
but for this specific novel, there's no draw anymore. I know it. I've got it. I I don't feel I need it again. Okay, I can see that. Um, so for me, it hits that six mark again. Okay. Altogether, we end up with an overall writing ranking of six point five. The plot comes in at seven. The it factor comes in at seven, with a total ranking for twenty point five or six point eight three. Better than Revival, better than The Body, better than... Uh, Eyes of the Dragon, but not quite as later. good as Apt Pupil. Yep, but not quite as good as Apt Pupil. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's sitting right now. Um, and that's Mr. Mercedes. I think, um, you know, I'm going to take a couple of seconds here. Uh, hit you with some theories about what's going to happen, though, in this series. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, they made a big deal about this blue Mercedes. Obviously, like, they're going to have their own, like, dog, the bounty hunter style, bounty hunting license business. I'm very interested to see how that goes. I think it'll be very fun. The next one is called Finders Keepers, um, which is interesting to me. I'm curious how that's going to lead off. I don't think that Brady is going to be the villain of the second one. I think we're dealing with the Jafar situation here. I think that Jafar will be back in the third, uh, movie. Um... Uh, no, Jafar was back in the second movie, wasn't he? Never mind. I don't know who I'm thinking of. But I don't think that Finders Keepers is going to be about Brady. I think it's going to be about something else. It's going to be something about... Uh, we're going to get a lot more of Bill's backstory. I also would not be surprised if uh, Allison gets kidnapped in the next couple of novels. I think that would be very uh, apt. Uh, and it would be something that we'd see. I would like to meet Bill's family. I think we'll do that. And uh, frankly, I'd like to see Holly punch her mom in the face. And I'd oh, love to yeah. see that happen, Man, that right? that would be so satisfying. Ooh, just <laughs> one good, one good lick on the jaw. And uh, I think we'd all cheer a little bit. I think you're right. Um, well, I uh, I don't have anything else to say about Mr. Mercedes. All right. Yeah, I don't either. I think I, I enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to reading the other books. And I know that we'll get those on the schedule eventually. Really excited we'll to read the out. books. Super excited to see the TV series. And yeah. uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Are we announcing the new book yet? Oh no, we're not. We we oh, posted a riddle that's, that's going right. to be, uh, you know, that's going to be coming out at some point. And next week is going to be an incredible bookmark where we're going to be diving into some serial killers after, and it'll be real good after doing through Brady. Um, you know, I, I looked up a couple of interesting facts, and uh, we're going to have uh, a friend of the show, Darwy Sandleven. She's going to be on to talk to us uh, about serial killers and their stories and uh, how they've impacted her as well. Uh, I think it'll be really fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's actually Absolutely. a topic that's super fascinating to me and has been for a long time. So. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, yeah. So make sure you check us out next week here for that. And uh, everywhere that you can re- see podcasts and listen to them, make sure you follow us and subscribe. Uh, follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, and uh, go give us money at Patreon. Um, and just in general, please uh, give us lots of attention and love. Yep. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, I'm Otto. And I'm Kim. And this has been our first time through Mr. Mercedes by our Lord and Liege, Stephen King. We hope you enjoyed your first time through.
First Time Through New Eyes on Castle Rock is created by Otto Mullins and Kim Payne. Our art is done by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art, and our music is done by Jason Rager. Everything's original and incredible. If you'd like to support us or any of our artists, please get in touch with us or go to our Patreon and please pledge. All of that money directly goes to help us produce more shows, and we're so thankful for it. Thank you for listening.